All right, let's pray, and then uh, we'll talk about Peacemaker Part 1. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you through Jesus, the great peacemaker. He was the peace child given for us to reconcile us to you. That while we were alienated in our thinking and in our wanting and in our doing, uh, you reconciled us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you have now commissioned us, now as reconciled people, to be reconcilers to one another, uh, to demonstrate what our Father in Heaven is like. And so give us a picture of your grace and mercy uh, that will enable us to go in uh, to tense and painful situations with your mercy and grace, to see you diffuse these uh, diffuse alienation and turn it into peace and joy. And so that's a tall order, and but it's something that you can do and will do as we believe you and follow you with all of your grace at work in us. Thanks for this day, and these folks uh, do a great work in us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, so you got two uh, pages here. This uh, comes uh, courtesy of uh, peacemaker.net. Um, and so I'm, I'm totally lifting their material because you really can't improve on these guys and the work that they've done. Let me just, uh, and uh, at least one of you in the room I think will relate to this. Um, this was started by Ken Sandy, who is a Christian lawyer. And obviously in his law practice, he's always dealing with conflict. But then also as a Christian and a church member, uh, he's uh, part of a PCA church in uh, Billings, Montana. So he just felt really grieved that Christians weren't any better at relationships or conflict than the world was, that Christians needed as much lawyer services as non-Christians did. And we're going to look at a passage next week about 1 Corinthians says, basically Paul, to paraphrase, Dude, what's up? You're hauling it. You're suing other Christians. What's up with that? It's because, and, and there's this great principle we're going to look at is it says, why not rather be wronged and have Jesus look good? But what, what's the alternative? We want to look good. We want to win, but we make Jesus look bad. And so basically, Ken Sandy's kind of what gripped his heart is how about we make Jesus look good? And how about maybe it's okay if we look bad? How about that? Well, the gospel does something great. It makes God look good, and the gospel makes who? What does the gospel make us look like? Like sinners, right? But that's good news, because that's what... He's not calling us bad names. He's just saying what, what we are, what, what we've done. So that's what we're up against when we're talking about peacemaking, is who's going to look good here? If we want to look good at all costs, guess what we're going to do? We're going to tear others down. We're going to make them look like they're the problem. So there's all kinds of things that we don't maybe even think about in our relationships because we're blinded by our agenda, which is to make everybody else look like a dork and us look like we're awesome and like we're brilliant and exceptional. And so if our heart's ruled by this agenda, then... God doesn't end up looking good. And so principle one in what he wrote called the Peacemaker's uh, Pledge, and we're going to kind of use that as our outline over the next four weeks. Um, someone just read that opening paragraph, kind of the what's the heart behind uh, this. Okay. Okay. 
Oh, on the... Uh, we'll get to the Bible in a second. But. Okay, there's some really huge stuff in this opening uh, paragraph. <clears throat> and this is a concept we need to get. I, th- I think we've covered it in here, but it, we can't say it enough. Is when we do theology, who do we start with? It's Sunday school, so the answer you probably want to give is probably the safe one. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's where we start. We don't start with, you're really screwed up, or it's my family, that's why I act this way. Um, we really come back to, what's God up to? What What is God like? And so when we're coming to the issue of reconciliation, we're coming up against God, the reconciler. So God's up to something, and he's actually inviting us into that something. And he already has by bringing us into salvation, which is, at its core, Paul says, this is reconciliation 2 Corinthians 5 it says now be ambassadors for God invite others to be reconciled to God and that sounds cool that's like evangelism and missions we just talked about that the hard part is maybe what we're going to talk about in this class is be reconciled to me like one to one with others because what are we up against when we're saying Hey, I want to make reconciliation with this person. What what are we getting into there? What what possibilities are there when we're going to somebody saying, I want to be reconciled with you? What's at stake? Face. Yeah, you're gonna lose face. In, in what sense? Well you either have to tell them you were wrong. Or you're gonna have to go to them and then they're gonna prove you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this could go horribly bad, right? Yeah. And so either I own up to it and I'm proven wrong, or I stand up to them and they prove me I'm wrong. Either way. So you're we're basically guaranteed to lose something in this. But actually, what we want to see in this first principle is what can be gained in conflict. And, and there's this. This is a huge concept. I was training uh, elders one time, and I told them this line we also believe that conflict provides opportunities to glorify God so I basically told these guys at our church we're not going to be freaked out by conflict we're going to expect it what happens when you start to expect conflict have you lowered your expectations or you just have your eyes open to what's happening right to reality so in some brands of Christianity, it's not okay to say things are screwed up, things are broken. But I think at this church we say deeply, not only is this world broken, and we're going to see next week, like uh, Malcolm Muggeridge said, what's wrong with this world? He wrote back to an op-ed, I am, sincerely, Malcolm, or it might have been G.K. Chesterton. (laughs) Somebody wrote in the newspaper, what is wrong with the world today? And he wrote in, I am, you know, I'm the problem here. So here we're saying conflict 
is there. Conflict is actually an opportunity. Not like we clap up and go like, oh good, somebody's fighting. That's not what we're doing. Is This is a chance to see God work, see God at his best, right at our, our worst. Conflict just reveals what's already going on, and it also reveals where we believe or don't believe uh, the gospel. Because if the gospel's about reconciliation, why wouldn't it apply here? So you can think of it kind of like the church has become antibiotic resistant. The go- we're resistant to the gospel where it really counts. Not by sending it to Africa or China or to the pygmies. The most resistant pocket in the world for the gospel is Christian relationships. And God sort of says, what's up with that? I thought at the core of Christianity was reconciliation, right? So this is a huge opportunity for the gospel to kind of get to an unreached people group, which is people who don't like each other. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's the biggest unreached people group, right? Yeah, so, and that's probably some of you. There's people in your family, there's maybe even people in this room that you're going, oh, I'm here just because, God, you stuck me with them. But there's actually something better than that, than just toleration. There's actually, we can actually move towards each other and in love and and find uh, peace so he says here we'll grow to be like christ we'll serve other people we'll glorify him by anticipating that conflict's going to be there and that there is a christian way uh to enter into uh healing the conflict so this first principle is uh well maybe we'll state it this way you've heard the expression there's an elephant in the room what do we mean when we say that? Have you heard that expression before? Yeah, it's like something, it's there, it's obvious, but no one wants to admit to it. Yeah, no one will miss, but it's big, it's gray, it weighs several thousand pounds. It's Christmas time at my family's house. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, <laughs> this thing is dancing, going, la, 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 I'm here, and everybody's going, na, 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 I can't hear you. Um, but actually, the elephant in the room isn't the conflict. It isn't big jerk number one or big jerk number two or little jerk number one and big, you know. This isn't about it. The elephant in the room from a theological standpoint is God. God is here. This big stink in the room between these two people. What's bigger than that? Actually, God. God in his power, God in his mercy. So in one sense, if we're kind of freezing each other out or we're actually kind of in active, hot pursuit of, you know, getting in someone's face and flame wars and texting or email or something like that or Facebook or whatever, the, the elephant in the room isn't the conflict, it's God. God is up to something. God has plans to redeem this mess. And so we have to deal with God is here and he wants to solve this more than we do because actually we don't want to solve this in so many ways our heart wants to keep the fight alive right can you relate to that <clears throat> god hates this more than we do and god loves to reconcile more than we do and so already we're kind of outgunned because god's here and god is working and so it's time for us to glorify uh god and so here's here's what pledge one says instead of focusing on our own desires which is I want to kill somebody, or I want them to go away forever. I don't want to ever talk to them again. Um, or dwelling on what others may do. 
Let's think about that for a second. Have we ever thought, I really want to do this right thing, but this person is going to take it totally the wrong way. So I'm going to do something that kind of like will counteract what they're going to do. Have you ever kind of done that in anticipation? So instead of doing the right thing and, and whatever comes may come, you start kind of anticipating how wrong they're going to be, and then you get kind of semi-wrong because they're going to be... Like a preemptive strike. Yeah, a preemptive already, strike. Yeah, so. I already know they're going to say this, so I'm going to strike them first. So they're going to say this, so I'm going to say this, and I, and I have like three chess moves ready to play on them. <laughs> but has anything happened yet? No, not... No harm, no foul. Nothing's happened yet, but you're already in your heart saying they're going to be this super jerk. So I'm going to be like half the jerk they are, and that's going to make me look pretty good if I'm just half the jerk they are. But I don't want to be godly. I don't want to love them. I don't want to change them. So it's almost like we're in a position, but it's not a redemptive one. We're playing a game with people. And and if we are seeking to glorify God in this, we're going to try to figure out how do I live off of the character of God and the mercy of God so that I act like God in reconciling with this person instead of acting like them? That sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? Because sometimes it's no fun to act like God, right? Because you get crucified. Right? <laughs> and we don't get in relationships to be crucified. We get in relationships to be loved and, and appreciated and said we're awesome and valued and you're my BFF. You know, that's why we're in relationships. But if we're like God, we are in relationships so that the other person is built, built up. If you're in a conflict, do you want to build up that person? You want to bring them down. You know, they're like... Who do they think they are? They're on a high horse. I've got to take them down a few notches, right? And so when we approach them, we're going to knock them down. But instead of dwelling on what others may do, we rejoice in the Lord and bring Him praise by depending on His forgiveness, wisdom, power, and love as we seek to faithfully obey His commands and maintain a loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. Wow. That seems like a tall order, doesn't it? Well, let's look at, uh, somebody read uh, Jane, the verse page. Let's look at some verses. So we're going to focus on glorify God this week. I gave you an overview. And then the last 10 minutes or so, we'll look at the pretty colored picture on the back. Here, so that, these four principles in this picture will be kind of our the skeleton for all the stuff we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Uh, let's see. Clarence, can you read the first verse there, the James 3? All right, man, this is a killer verse. <clears throat> There's so much in there. Let me just tell a story on myself before we look at this. When I was little, I used to box my parents. I used to correct their grammar and their spelling. Uh, I used to yell at them. I used to belittle my brother, who was uh, five years younger than me. And when I did that, my parents sent me in the room with a living Bible, open to James 3. I said, go to your room, read James 3 out loud. 
because James 3 is all about how you use your tongue and that was my biggest biggest problem so maybe I was destined to be a pastor right so uh, I said to learn how to <coughs> channel this instrument right so I would read it out loud because I was told to I couldn't leave my room until I did that but I closed my ears literally I put my fingers in my ear <laughs> man that shows something about my heart doesn't it is this wisdom stuff uh, I don't want to be humbled I don't want it to be uh, told I'm wrong I don't want to be corrected I don't want to be lowered in my own estimation I don't want to be humbled well that's obviously not wisdom is it I was saying the words, I didn't want it to penetrate my ears or my heart. But here the contrast, the last part, I think I kind of stopped before this verse. I kind of just stopped where it stopped talking about the tongue. But here in verse 17, it talks about God's kind of wisdom. And let's look at all these qualities here. God's wisdom is pure. What do you think that means? Something. It's clean, right? So it doesn't have what in it? Yeah, it's clean. It's not mixed up. Mixed with something else, right? So what's our wisdom mixed up with? What's our way of doing things mixed up with? Well, that's kind of easy. <laughs> that, right? Um, what's the next word? Peaceable. What do you think peaceable means? That's something related to fighting is absent. Well, we'll keep going. Gentle. What does gentleness look like? What's what's a gentle person like? Do know any gentle people? Bert? Oh, yeah. Non-agitator. And it almost has the opposite effect. Kind of like... Calming diffuses the, the situation. <coughs> Whoa, this one's killer. Open to reason. You know what the worst thing in a conflict is? One of the other ones shows that they actually, other person has an IQ. <laughs> and that they're not the devil. That there's something good in them, right? <laughs> Open to reason means I'm going to somebody willing to be... I'm willing to be proved wrong on my hypothesis. Well, it depends on... And quarrels. The only person, the only reason why the person's silent is they're just waiting their turn to fire back. Yeah, yeah. They're really not listening. They're not listening. They're just like waiting for traffic. 
to go across the intersection. And they may not even wait, they may just cut you out. Yeah, yeah, they cut you out. <clears throat> so you're not even interested in fact-finding. This is just at the proving. We're all in the proving mode. And God's wisdom enables us to, to, to listen. Yeah, Christine? I think that's the hardest thing. Um, in terms of the difference between reconciling with God and reconciling with man is that, of course you're open to reason with God. You can't be wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you try. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's already stacked, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but that doesn't stop us, right? The book of Job has some stuff like that. Like, yeah. He says, why, why do you try to prove me wrong? Is that how you're going to justify yourself? And then uh, Job kind of goes, oh, yeah, you got a good point. I repent. <laughs> so even though he had some really awesome theology better than most in there, at a certain point he was in a, in a, in a tactical mode where God had to lose for him to, to win. And this is something killer that's, that's down here in the next few words. Full of mercy and good fruits. Wow, here's the killer. Impartial. Man, has that ever happened in a conflict? Well, not really for either side here. Uh, no. <laughs> but here's the principle that it sounds like, I mean, it belongs in Sunday school, is God gets... To win. And that's kind of like a duh statement, right? Because that's the benefit of being God. You get to get what you want, right? God wins. But what does it mean in terms of God gets to win in conflict as our goal? How does that relate to this idea of impartiality? <clears throat> you don't. It means party of the first part doesn't win and you're really afraid a party of the second part winning but the good news is the point isn't just to let them win either the point is for God to have his way and what is God up to in reconciling he wants reconciliation all around, and he can do it by his grace and his mercy. And what we have to wrestle with is, man, I, how do I quit wanting them to lose? How do I quit wanting me to win? And part of it comes from actually starting with a change of heart, saying, God, even if it means I lose, I want you to win in this thing. Because what we're going to see next week is... I could very well be the problem. I came into this thing with a whole list of charges against this person, and I don't want the tables to get turned on me. But if I want the wisdom from above that's not mixed with sin, I want God to show me where my agenda is mixed with sin. I want to see how I could be in this relationship without fighting. I want to see how I could actually be a calming uh, type of blessing on this person. I want to be open to reason. I want to actually be able to hear this person what they have to say. That it's not just the devil talking whenever they open their mouth. Is hey, God, God made this person. They're a redeemed sinner just like me. I am not overstating my case about their sin because I'm probably understating my case about about my sin. And that's the impartial part. Is 
God, for you to win, it actually means I might have to lose. And right now it's not okay, but I want it to be okay. Would you change my heart so that I want you to win in this? And this is why we view conflict as an opportunity. Because we see it's an opportunity for us to take our rightful place before God as a redeemed sinner. But deep in our hearts, that's the place we don't want to go. I'm not going to go there. They're not going to make me look stupid and foolish. Uh, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to you know, say I'm sorry. And there's, what are we doing when we have all those agendas? We're just like putting up these walls and we're making, in one sense, ourselves to be righteous. And when God starts his, the vision of His mercy and His goodness that He's the reconciler, our hearts begin to be won over to say, actually for God to win would be the most awesome thing. And even if I lost, it wouldn't be the worst thing ever. It might be one of the best things because I am so, so wrong. And, and it, I experience this way too much in conflict uh, with my wife, uh, Nancy, where I come in like, you're so wrong when you did that and blah, blah, blah. You're so legalistic and blah, blah, blah. And then like, we kind of get mad and we have to kind of go to different rooms and then God lets me hear my words in my own kind of like what Roman says is he holds what they've said against them and God almost replays it into my mind and what do I have to say God I'm so legalistic God I'm so I lack grace I don't know how you know to humble myself all the words I was hurling at Nancy God uses to humble me to say, I am not impartial. I only see one side and I don't even see that very well. I don't even see my sin. God, I want to be impartial. I want to see you in your glory. I want to see me in my unglory. And then I want to see my wife in, in her beauty, her glory. Yes, she's broken. Yes, she's a sinner. But I want to see her and move towards her in love. That she's not the devil. I don't want to get away from her. I want to move move towards her. And the only way we move towards each other when all of this is happening is if we start to discover the heart of God towards us. And sometimes the last that's the last thing we want to want to see. And we definitely don't want to see God's heart of love and compassion towards the other person. We want to call in airstrikes. Here's the GPS coordinates, God. Light them up. You know? But one thing we do in this battle is actually we're calling in our own coordinates because we're the same kind of sinner. Maybe a little different, but we're a sinner. And so we're calling in our own coordinates. And so we need to confess and we need to be realize that we need to be impartial because we're wrong in ways that we don't even, don't even know. So that kind of helps me 
because if, if the only way I can reconcile with someone is I have to convince myself they're not crazy, that's too large a hurdle for me. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I, you know, God helps me to get to where I can start to see that person as a normal human being. Yeah. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great book called Life Together. If you want to really be convicted and kind of challenged in your relationships, just life together. So he was literally being kind of exiled by the Nazis. He did kind of this renegade breakaway seminary in another part of Germany where they literally lived in kind of like, they did small group all day long. So they were doing seminary, but they were singing together and they were, you know, loving each other. They were eating meals together, you know, playing soccer out in the field and stuff like that. So basically he was living this out because obviously they were kind of under lock and key. But it was a place where they were kind of learning is what does the gospel look like when we make this our family rules? And so basically what he says in this book is we never deal with a Christian one-on-one, like skin to skin. Because we are in Christ Jesus and they are in Christ Jesus, Jesus in one sense is our link. And since he absorbs all the, the junk between us like he's a cushion like if you blow out the cartilage in your knee what happens it's like there's no the nice slippery stuff like on chicken bones it's kind of the that plasticky stuff if that is gone what is it bone on bone and you're just in, in a world of hurt you're ready to go for knee replacement right and that's basically what Christians act like is if we're not seeing that, that Christ is in fact the one who brings us to our brother and he makes our brother our brother then it means this isn't just hard contact it means God is in this thing God literally is absorbing our junk we need to realize that and treat our brothers and so he says if that is the fact that Christ is between me and you let's start to embrace that as the the method in which we approach someone so they're not the devil they're a brother redeemed in Christ so we're actually looking at them wrong. We're not looking at them through the lens of the gospel. We're not assuming that God loves them and forgives them and, and wants to change their hearts too. And we're really not thinking that God wants to change our hearts because who needs to change a righteous heart? I have a righteous heart in this thing. They have, they're so wrong. Or like, like I said, they're crazy. So I've got the good here. There's nowhere for me to go because I'm good. You know, it's like, there's no movement there. And so we're never going to move towards people. We're going to be hardened in that unless we really discover the gospel as being how God addresses addresses us as redeemed sin or not as righteous victim, but as... I kind of think of it the, as the gospel is God vouching for the other person. Yeah, yeah. So it can't be that this person is unreasonable crazy. Yeah. Yeah, God's putting up Jesus as collateral for this guy. Like, I, I've got, you know, his loan, you know. I, I'm going to co-sign for this this guy. And you're like, what are you doing? This guy's ridiculous. You know, he's like, you got a bad deal, God. You know, it's like, well, that's the gospel. What does God get for the deal? He gets us, you know. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> what a deal, yeah, yeah. So actually that, listen to how that diffuses conflict. What does God get in this deal of redemption? Ah, he gets sinners. So what is God asking me to do? Go hug a sinner. It's what God does. That's what he does. He loves to do it. Well, I don't love to do it. Well, that's God's saying, that's what I want to work on with you. (laughs) That you want to hug sinners like I do. You want to be with them 
like I do. You want to reconcile with them. That, that's why this James verse is huge. The wisdom from above is impartial. It doesn't say he's 90% wrong, she's 10% wrong. 100% wrong, 100% wrong. So, so there. You know, the numbers have been assigned and it's 100%, 100%. This is good news when I do marriage counseling because they go, you know what? I don't have to play that game anymore of percentages. When I receive my identity as 100% sinner, 100% reconciled to God, the game totally changes. In fact, the game goes away and then I can embrace this person for the first time without crossing my fingers or, okay, are we done hugging? You know, it's like, this is so lame. You know, we start to see, wow, this is huge. Um, God has really loved me uh, this much. Now, somebody read uh, Romans 12, 17. Justin, can we pick on you? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Um, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing st- or for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the goal in conflict resolution isn't don't hate anymore, don't avoid anymore. What's kind of the direction? What's kind of the posture that God wants to bring us to with people? In one sense, you can only deal with your own, or you can't change somebody else's. Yeah. I want peace with this person. I want conflict resolution, but I can't. There's nothing I can do about them. If it's at all possible, as far as it depends on you, the peace will be resolved. And there's some people, unfortunately, it doesn't end the way you want it to. And you can get frustrated and get angry, but you are not responsible. You're responsible for your confession, for your owning up to your side. And real being willing to forgive, and, but if they're not, there's nothing you can do about it. Some people just don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately, this happens a lot. Yeah, you know, and there and there are crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the percentage is lower than you would think. I've had conflict where you're just going, and you're, you're just going. What am I dealing with here? Not a full deck. No, no, no. no I find like a half dozen cases where you start looking into history, and they've done this. It's, they've done at this church. They've done it at this church. They've done it at this church. They've done it at this church. You got to go. Okay, there's a track record here. They're going from church to church to church. Every time they go to a church, this happens again. They kind of realize, yeah, there's something else going on there. I don't think. Sort of, you know, crazy, crazy. Yeah. Well, there's habitual evil that, right. you know, which is the whole Jesus and Peter 70 times 7. You're like, after seven times, don't you think we would have clued in and, like, blocked this guy? Like, you know, like, but we can't do that. You know, Jesus says the wheat and the tares live together. There is church discipline. But there's a part is we're going to be jerky at some level. You know, the rest of our lives and in relationship, that's going to be pointed out to us. And basically, how do we deal with that? 
inevitability and uh, and then how do we take the ownership of that you know we're not waiting for them to be reasonable especially if they're crazy you know it's we're gonna be like God um, and uh, so uh, good concept let me just close by looking at the color picture here um, he's developed this uh, Ken Sandy has called the slippery slope and some of you say I really want to be a balanced person and balance is basically just that point in between the pendulum swings from either side um, so this is kind of the, the pendulum peacemaking is in the in the middle uh, on the left is run away you notice it's blue that means this is the cool way to handle conflict quote unquote passive aggressive yeah deny fly and the worst is suicide, meaning saying, I'm the problem, so I'm going to take myself out of the situation. Here in this happy, sunny, beige area is uh, peacemaking. So a lot of this is active, uh, you know, overlooking an offense. We're going to talk about that a little bit next time. Hey, that would get rid of a lot of Christian conflict, right? That would, like, get rid of... I don't know how many Christian bloggers, right? Um, Overlook and offense. Okay. Uh, then reconciliation, which is, hey, I want to make up with you, you know, coming actively towards that. Sometimes you say, you know what? We can't really talk to each other. We can't hear each other. We're going to need to formally put our positions on paper and talk through them in a calm, business-like manner. And the mediation means we better have someone else in the room. We need a referee because um, we're not we can't handle this. And that's not a failure, actually. That's actually taking concrete, humble steps to say, and that's kind of like, since I do counseling, that's kind of where I'm at in marriage counseling is, yeah, it really is that bad. They called in another person because the people that are in the marriage are, are not able to talk to each other or hear each other, you know, stuff like that. So it's not the end of the road. There's hope for that because you're saying, I'm taking active steps to get, get help. Arbitration, accountability, and then the red zone, which is kind of, I'm fighting Irish, so that's kind of my end of things. Assault, litigation, uh, murder, haven't gone there. but uh, <coughs> So maybe uh, next time we can talk a little bit just about cultural baggage, about uh, peacemaking. Because there's church culture, there's family culture, and then there's like ethnic culture. And and there's, a, there's a resolution between cultures. Yeah, yeah. So just to encourage you, I presented this stuff to a sec another Anglo culture besides mine, and they they kind of bugged out on me because it was so countercultural to do this. So, you know, literally they said to me, it's because you're a crazy American that you want to fight and make up and talk about awkward stuff. It's like, actually, this crazy American doesn't like that stuff. You know, I don't like talking about how I'm wrong. So this is the gospel. And so it, just an encouragement for you. This is how the gospel rewrites our family rules, uh, ethnically and then even as a church, to say, this normally wasn't the way we did things, but that's why we're here. The way we did things was junk. You know, we're basically saying that was no good. Peter says we've been redeemed from the traditions of our fathers, which were no good. They couldn't redeem us out of God has given it to us through the Lord. What's we just, that? We, I'm a Klingon. We just bring up the swords. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's better all Seven points and stuff like that, dripping venom, right? So so the good news this morning is we get to enter conflict because it's there, but God's already in it to redeem it. So um, 
boldly go where actually someone has gone before, uh, <coughs> which is God himself. So um, God's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't done. Think about it that way. God has reconciled with his enemies and made them his sons and his, his friends. So that's, that's good news. So yeah, next week we'll talk more about uh, you might be the problem or get the log out of your own eye, So, uh, which is a huge, huge concept. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the good news that uh, sinners are loved and redeemed uh, through Jesus. And that means that our worst enemies and, and our hardest, uh, the hard cases in our lives can be loved and forgiven and uh, moved towards. We thank you that you moved towards us in Christ. You didn't stay away because we were so disgusting in our sin. You weren't so aggravated with us that you kept away. Instead, uh, you poured out your wrath on your son so you could pour out blessings on your enemies. So we rejoice in this gospel. Uh, Give us grace the rest of the morning to rejoice in you and receive your good news and then uh, live it out with the grace that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen.